0: It's a tad bit brighter up here today. We can see you now. Yes, it's kind of like being, It reminds me of when I was in theater and being on stage. and You can't really see the audience when the lights are on. You and the audience is dark. Um, don't turn out the lights because I know people will go to sleep. Because people go to sleep when the lights are on. Um, but uh, this morning we're going to be uh, continuing our study through God's Word as we just heard read in uh, Second Timothy, uh, which was our reading this week. Uh, Just to read the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, It's a short one, four chapters long. And, and, uh, you know, we know, of course, that Paul is writing these things to Timothy, who is a young preacher. Uh, We talked a little bit about him this morning in our Bible class as well. Um, But even though Paul, or or, uh, Timothy, well, Paul too, is a preacher and evangelist. Um, that does not necessarily mean that these applications or these lessons don't apply to those of us who are not preachers or evangelists. Um, and I think, and I've said this before, I think in some capacity, every Christian is a evangelist in some capacity, um, whether or not they fulfill the role, uh, in a corporate setting or not, we are to share the word of God in all that we do and and with the people that we come into contact with, um. So, this morning we're going to look at these three examples that Paul gives in terms of faithful service. Um, These three examples are, um, well, first he gives a a soldier, uh, and then an athlete, and a farmer um, three secular jobs that exist still today, and I think that's probably why those or those three things were chosen because they would stand the test of time. It's not something that would necessarily go away. Um, But no matter what our function within the body of Christ may be, these three examples can encourage us. Um, So as we just heard uh, those verses read, 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 7, um, we want to focus on these three uh, examples. So let's start off first, of course, with the faithful service of a dedicated soldier. Now, if you remember uh, the end of um, uh, verse 7 there, it says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We are to use these examples to encourage us in our walk so that we may better understand how we are to serve the Lord. Um, And so with the soldier, with a dedicated soldier, um, you know, elsewhere in scripture, we see the the illustration of a soldier used often. Um, We are called soldiers of Christ, right? There is a fight that we fight. There is a war that we wage against sin. There is armor that we are to put on. There is uh, weaponry that we use. Right? All of those things have been painted throughout Scripture, and we've read that so far in Paul's letters. We're coming to the end of Paul's letters now, and so Paul has used this imagery throughout. But I want this morning to look at the characteristics that Paul details about a soldier to kind of understand some characteristics that we should assume as disciples of Christ. And the first that's up there is long-suffering. Um, now, we talked at length about this last Sunday as we were going through our Fruits of the Spirit um, series on Sunday evenings, um, but Paul says that we must share in suffering, or we need to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 3. It doesn't take much research or history to know or understand that soldiers often endure great hardship in their service for their country. Should Christians be any less willing to suffer hardships for our Lord? And specifically, as we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, specifically suffering or hardships for the gospel. I saw, I saw Jody look over at, at Nick there. Nick, of course, just joined the Navy, right? And so he, yeah, he's in a little, living space, space right? In a submarine, all right? But still... He's serving his country, and he's learned a lot about that uh, through uh, his time and training. Um, but in terms of how we are to <clears throat> long suffer for the gospel, uh, uh, in verse or Second Timothy chapter one verse eight. Uh, He says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. It is the power of God by which we can endure the sufferings that may come and the persecutions that may come because of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, the latter verses of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you ever notice in the Beatitudes, Jesus takes a lot more time in terms of talking about long-suffering, about persecution, because he knows that it's going to happen. And it's going to be something, one of the hardest things that is going to test the faith of his followers. So long-suffering also applies to how we should be willing to suffer the hardships that may present themselves for the kingdom of God. Enduring persecutions, false accusations, vile remarks, uh, false doctrines, those sorts of things that come up. Now the next characteristic of a soldier that Paul gives us is in verse 4. And you may have Kind of glanced over this, but I think this is an important one. He says, No soldier, this is what the ESV says, no soldier gets entangled in in civilian pursuits. Indicating that soldiers have a special kind of focus. Or they should have a special kind of focus. Soldiers in battle must focus on the battle at hand. If they're focusing on other things, like oh butterfly. That's not a good thing, right? They need to be focusing on the battle at hand. If they're thinking about what's going on at home, that could influence decisions that they make in the course of battle, which could end up getting them killed or their fellow soldiers killed. We too as Christians need to be focused on our job as a disciple of Christ and not distracted by the things of this world. Jesus teaches in his explanation of the parable of the sower that if we focus more on the cares of the world, we fail to produce mature fruit. He says, "And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature." Paul teaches something similar in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, which we read last week. He said uh, when he's talking about the desire of being rich, in the temptations that surround that. In verse 9 he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Sometimes in business, people make business decisions that go against maybe their moral compass, their ethics, maybe even their faith, because, hey, I might make some money on this. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. That's what a soldier does, right? We fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says if you aren't focused on pursuing uh, on pursuing righteousness and pursue instead these temptations and sinful desires that we that will plunge into ruin and destruction. So just like a soldier if we're not focused on our mission death could be the result. The latter part of verse 4 and uh, our scripture focus more this morning in 2 Timothy 2 says that a soldier's aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Meaning the last characteristic of the soldier that we should mirror in our lives is devotion. Uh, soldiers, uh, military men—I'll say that since Nick is not technically a soldier—but those who are in the military, they serve and they desire to please their commanding officers, especially in boot camp and training. Because if you don't, you got to run more, do more push-ups. Sorry, sore, sore, sore topic there. But it is something, this desire to make your commanding officer happy, or at least do what they tell you to do, which should, of course, make them happy, uh, that is instilled from basic training all the way throughout the career, even through retirement. Um, If you don't make them happy, you get punished. Bottom line. Do You see the connection, right, with Christianity? If you don't do what you're told, there's punishment. That's what I try to teach my children. If you don't do what you're told, there's punishment. You have to serve the consequences. You have to live up to the, uh, to the consequences of your actions. If soldiers are devoted to their commanding officers, shouldn't Christians be even more devoted to our great commander, the Lord, our Lord and Savior? Now, let's note two things from Paul elsewhere in Scripture. First is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I want you to listen to Paul's attitude here. He says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Now this is also connected to the military. When you are enlisted in the military, you are held to a higher standard of rules. It's the military code of justice. Right? Did you know that in the military, if you commit adultery, that is a crime. And you could go to jail wish that was the case in regular society. There'd be a lot of full jails, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, But when you're in the military, whether you're in uniform or not, you are representative of the military. And if you do something out of uniform, guess what? It still is going to come back and bite you. You could still get court-martialed. You could still get in serious trouble. And if you do it in uniform, it's even worse. So, it should always be our focus, whether we are with our Christian brethren or not. And we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, in terms of environmental faith. We were talking about that, if you remember that. Whether the commanding officer is present or not, it is the duty of the soldier to be respectful and to follow orders. And the same goes for Christians in our service to the Lord. Also, Paul tells the Colossians that he never ceases to pray for them. And in that prayer, he prays, "...they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God." So the next time that you see a soldier who serves his or her country with honor, ask yourself, do I serve my Lord in his kingdom with the same dedication? The next illustration Paul uses is that of a uh, for faithful service is that of a disciplined athlete. Now, I was raised in the Air Force, so I have a little bit of background in terms of military rules and how military life is. I have no idea about being a disciplined athlete. That has never existed in my life. Um, Maybe it will someday. The uh, jury is still out on that. But, verse 5 of 2 Timothy 2, he says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So I think that gives us two characteristics of an athlete. The first is obedience. Athletes understand that they need to abide by the rules. If they desire to win, of course. It's always big news when someone cheats, isn't it, in sports? I'm reminded of the steroid controversy in the 90s uh, in baseball with Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Roger Clemens, etc., etc., etc. The list goes on and on and on and on, mainly because everybody was doing it, Right? Or how about the current scandal that's going on with the Russian athletes being kicked out of the Olympics and Russia not being allowed to be in the Olympics because of the doping scandals that are going on with them. If you cheat, you may win in the short term. But in the long term, you don't win. If you discard or disregard the rules and it's found out, you could lose everything that you've worked so hard for. Lance Armstrong is probably one of the best examples that I can give of that today. He was the greatest cyclist that that had lived in his titles. He had seven Tour de France titles. And every single one of them was taken away when it was found out he was using steroids. Think of the work and the time and the reputation that was lost. There's an old saying, right? Cheaters never win and winners never cheat. But if athletes are so disciplined to ensure that they follow the rules... Are Christians under any less obligation to do the same? You know, God has provided us rules and commands that we are to obey. And Jesus calls us in in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20 in the Great Commission that all disciples, new and old, are to observe all that He has commanded. The biggest difference between an athlete and the rules and a Christian and God's commands is there is no cheating and there is no getting away with it. You may know of people who have competed in athletics who cheated and got away with it, or maybe someone who cheated on a test in school and got away with it. You can't do that with God, because He knows. It is not enough for an athlete to just read or listen to the rules. They have to abide by them. They have to follow them. So too as Christians, we are called to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word, James says in uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Now, the second characteristic that I gleaned from Paul's illustration there uh, is that of self-control. Uh, note another comparison by Paul regarding athletes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24-27. through 27. There Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? I'm glad he pointed that out, because when I run a race, I don't always run. So I'm glad that he, he pointed that out. In a race, all the runners run. I should do that. Uh, So run that you may obtain it. What is it? The prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The point of Paul's teaching here is that we're running for a prize, all of us. And if we, as Paul points out there in verse 27, uh, if we are teaching others and showing, each other, showing others the truth, but then faults are found in our lives, what does that do to our testimony? What does that do to the truth that we've been presenting? We have to be self-controlled. We have to contain it. Athletes know that victory requires great self-control. As Paul suggests there in 1 Corinthians 9. We need to have similar self-control as we strive for the imperishable crown. The crown of life. If we fail to be self-controlled and we are disqualified because of it, what then? Paul tells the Corinthians in his second letter in chapter 13 verse 5 to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. That Jesus, or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And what's the test? Well, the test is whether or not they are in the faith. He says, and that Jesus lives in them. And this indicates one more characteristics of athletes uh, that I think we should mention, and that is training. Every good athlete trains. When you go to run a marathon, you don't just show up at the Flying Pig Marathon and say, hey, I'm going to run the marathon today, and not have trained at all. Because you're going to get about 50 meters in and be like, "Mm, never mind. (laughs) Okay, I would get 50 meters in and say, never mind. But an athlete trains and practices in order to achieve their victory. We should be training ourselves for godliness. Godliness. And that's also something that Paul teaches Timothy in 1 Timothy. Uh, Again, something we read through last week. Paul writes in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, he says, "...have nothing to do with irreverent, silliness, Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance." For to this end, we, have, uh, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Those last few verses speaks of the prize at the finish line, the goal, the hope, right? We toil and strive for the prize, the crown of life. And in order to complete the race, to cross that finish line, we must obey the rules. We must be self-controlled and train ourselves in godliness in order to achieve victory when you watch athletes competing in different sports let their example of these things challenge you in your own spiritual walk and in your service to the Lord finally let's consider the third illustration of faithful servant something that I'm also not very familiar with in my own life that of a diligent farmer I know a lot of farmers uh, but I've never been a farmer but I know the hard work that goes in to farming, especially in Paul's day. the hand work that has to be done, the, the hand plowing of fields, or you know, you got a couple oxen hooked up to a plow. That's still a lot of work to, to drive a plow. But, but you see that tractors today have a thing called power steering, right? Oxen provide the power, but the person behind the plow still has to steer it. And that takes a lot of muscle and work. If you've ever seen Amish plow their fields without the use of power tools or mechanical engineering or anything like that, that's what they do. They still do it today. You can travel a couple counties north and see that. But the uh, uh, in uh, verse 6 here, uh, Paul gives us two important characteristics um, that definitely apply to us. And the first one that you see here is uh, hardworking. Um Farming, again, is no easy task, even with today's technologies. And there are technologies today, there are GPS's on some of these farm equipment. use autopilot, basically, um, that it cultivates the fields. It knows where all the different um, you know, crops are, if, if they're a multi-crop um, farm, etc. cetera. Um, nonetheless, there are still long hours of the day. There's still a lot of manual labor that is involved. Not to mention, it is a vital profession and lifestyle. Um, And it's one that takes a toll on the body. While providing not only for their own family's needs, but also for the needs of others, perhaps their community um, or the world as a whole. Um, And you know, when we think about farmers and their crops and their livestock, you know, we need to think about the vineyard that we're working in, right? the 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 world that we labor in today is called the vineyard of the Lord, and we should not labor any less. We should not be lazy in our labor. We should labor as a farmer labors in their field. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38. That's what I have up there. Help, wanted, and I crossed out wanted and put needed. How many times have you gone to a restaurant and they have a now hiring sign and you walk in and say they need to hurry. They need to be a little bit quicker in this hiring process. The the harvest is plentiful and there are few laborers and we need more laborers and we need to pray for those who are laboring uh, which should be all of us. We should all be laboring and toiling in some capacity and we should be praying for each other and sharing each other, sharing with each other um, the hardships and struggles that maybe we are facing in our labors in the vineyard. Um, now the verse right before our focus this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2 um, says... Uh, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God needs and desires faithful men and women who are willing to serve him, willing to go out into the harvest and to work. There is work to be done, church. We can look around our churches. We can look around our our office buildings, our schools, the stores that we go to, the coffee shops, and know that there is a lot of work to be done. Are we doing it? Are we willing to do it? Are we willing to labor in the vineyard? The fruit that we gather relates to eternal life. John chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus says, "...already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together." there are souls at stake in the harvest. With a farmer, there are lives at stake as well, providing food for their family and others. And if they fail in that, if they're lazy, people go hungry. So too, if we fail to be hardworking for the Lord, there are some who may perish because we were too lazy to bring them the spiritual fruit the food to feed their soul and bring about eternal life. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, right? They need to hear it. The harvest is plentiful and the Lord needs diligent workers to labor in it. Now why do we labor? Why do we do it? Well, just as the farmer labors to have the first share of the crops, Paul says, he's motivated to enjoy the fruits of their labor. The food they've grown that feeds them, of course, is that fruit. So, do we not also have good motivation to labor diligently for the Lord? Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen, uh, verse fifty-eight. He says, "Therefore," uh, that's the wrong verse. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight says, "Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, because our hope." Our hope is eternal life and the crown of righteousness, right? The, the wreath, the imperishable wreath that we're going for. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, working in the harvest, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are all from Romans chapter 6, verse 22 through 23. Again, Paul's writing. We work for the wages of good fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, which, shameless plug, we'll uh, we'll be continuing talking about tonight in our study at 6 o'clock. But our work is for the good fruit, not the bad fruit, which brings about death. Now, as I mentioned, I know a few farmers, and I know how hard they work. Shouldn't I also be working just as hard, if not harder, in order to bring more to the knowledge of Christ? Shouldn't we all be doing that? Working side by side with our brethren in the pursuit of the kingdom. You see, the thing about farmers today is I think a lot of people take for granted the work that farmers do or don't even realize the scope of how much farmers really do in the world. See all that milk in the store that you go to? we don't have to milk our cows to get milk anymore. We don't have to churn the milk and turn it into butter so that we have butter for our toast. We don't even have to make our own bread anymore because the world has made things so much easier, more simple to get to. And I think we've become so disconnected with that that we, we've brought that mindset into the church. That I can just come and I can sit in the pew on Sunday and I can be fed. I can get my milk, I can get my bread from the preacher up there, he's just going to give it out. And then when I leave here, I don't have to do anything else to, to, to get that. I don't have to study my Bible at home. I don't need to, I don't need to talk to anybody about that. If, if I have somebody that I think has questions, I can just send them to the preacher. I can send them to the elders or, or this guy in church that I know knows the answers. We should know the answers. We should be studying. If you don't know the answers, sit down and study it with them. The best way to study is to read the Word. We talked this morning in Bible class about the public reading, and I didn't get a chance to, to make my comment. so I've got the stage now, so I'll say it. <laughs> the best way to understand Scripture is to read it out loud. If you sit there and you read Scripture just to yourself, you're going to miss some things. Even when I'm putting together my lessons, I'll, I'll just read the stuff in my head, but when I get up here and I read it out loud, I'm like, oh, I totally missed that. That's a great point, and then I'll make the point. Reading things out loud, and I know there's been studies done that show that that that, that helps. Um, But I I say all that to just kind of bring us back to this point of, you know, when we think about uh, Christians and what we should be uh, associated associated with um, the teaching that he gave uh, to Timothy here, you know, we should be dedicated like soldiers, we should be disciplined like athletes, and we should be diligent like farmers. I don't know many of us in here who are all three of these things. I know at least a few people in here who were in the military or are in the military. I know some people in here who I consider athletes even though they may not consider themselves athletes. And I there are some in here who probably have gardens and grow things, and even a garden is hard work. I haven't done one. I don't know. I kill flowers, so it's I mean, it's got to be harder than that. I've grown tomatoes once by accident, but hey. Seriously, we, my dad gave us a tomato, cherry tomato plant. It died, and the cherry tomatoes went into the ground. And the next year, a cherry tomato plant popped up. It's like, hey, we got cherry tomatoes. Look what I've done. Um, I didn't do anything. Uh, and sometimes, really, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the role of the preacher, too, sometimes, right? We plant the seed. God does the watering. God provides the growth. And that's true for all of us as Christians. When we are serving the Lord, are we doing so um, like these examples that that, um, we were given? And are we willing to learn from these illustrations and apply these characteristics to motivate us to be willing to suffer in our efforts to please the Lord? To be willing to to discipline, to be disciplined, to obey God's Word and to train ourselves in order to receive an imperishable crown? Are we willing to work diligently that we might benefit from the fruits of of our labors. And that's the challenge I want to give all of us this week. As we as we leave this place and go about our, our week, I want you to reflect each day and think about how you served the Lord that day. Did you do so like a soldier or did you do so like a draft dodger? Did you do so like an athlete or did you do it like a couch potato? Did you serve him like a farmer or did you serve him like a beggar? Wanting to reap what the farmer had already harvested, not needing to do the work yourself. I want you to think about and apply these examples. Learn from them and let them shape your life as you go into the world this week. If the church can assist you with any need that you have this morning, whether it's through prayer or study or if you wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins, we want to help you with that this morning. So if if you have a need that we can assist you with, why don't you come forward now while we stand and sing.